book is so awesome. I can do anything. This book is so awesome. I am the potions king. Did you hear that half book prince? I said I was the king. Can you hear me, Professor Snape? I can make anything. This book is so awesome. Hi, my name is Joel Watson. And I'm Lily Watson. And you're listening to Potter and Daughter, the Harry Potter podcast where I talk to my seven-year-old daughter as she reads through the Harry Potter book series. This is our final episode about uh, book three. What's book three called? The Prisoner of Azkaban. Prisoner of Azkaban. We've got so much to cover. I want to try and squeeze it into one episode, though. But this might be a long episode. Because I was reading through the notes, and there's a lot that happens in the final act of this book. There so, really is. It's sort of hard to take in all at once. It, it, one thing I was noticing as I read through the the notes for the end of this book is that it, uh, especially in contrast to the movies, they expand the shortest parts of this book and almost completely remove the longest parts. There's probably two or three chapters uh, towards the end of the book that are condensed down to maybe five minutes of of uh, screen time in the movies. So there's tons and tons of details, many of which I think are integral to the story that are completely left out in the movies, and I had basically forgotten them uh, because I'm so used to reading the movies or watching the movies <laughs> and instead of reading the book. How so can you read a movie? You can't. <laughs> so we are at chapter 15 the Quidditch final. Uh, Hermione gets a letter uh, that we talked about in the last episode that says what about Buckbeak? That he's going to be executed? Yeah, Buckbeak's appeal didn't work. Wait, Hermione gets it? Uh, Hermione got a letter stating that Buckbeak will be executed from Hagrid. Oh. Uh, so Hagrid, uh, oh, that's right. Hagrid doesn't want to talk to anybody at this point. He's very upset. So he doesn't tell them to come to his cottage and talk about Buckbeak. He just sends a letter. Uh, But at this point, uh, Ron and Hermione and Harry have all made up. Everyone's friends again. Uh, They've decided to stop fighting over the, what was the thing that was making them so mad? That Ron thought that um, Crookshanks had killed his rat. And as we will soon learn, oh, if only Crookshanks could have killed that rat. Uh-huh. It would save everyone so much trouble. It really would. So Harry, Ron, and Hermione have charms class, and they're practicing cheering charms. Uh, and Hermione uh, kind of vanishes, and then she's not in the class. And once again, everyone's like, well, that's weird. But they don't ask any questions. Yeah, they don't really, you know. Like, w- okay, that's weird. Um, She just disappeared out of thin air. We didn't hear the door open or close or anything, but whatever. So after the class, they go back to the Gryffindor common room. There's more security than ever. There's security trolls. The fat lady's back. They say the password, Fliberty Gibbet. And they enter in through the uh, the portrait hole there. And Hermione, what? They find her in a sad state. What is Hermione doing at this point? She is... She's sleeping? She's dead asleep. She has passed out and forgotten to go to charms class. Uh, Then they head on to all three of them to divination. And this is the lesson that involves crystal balls. They don't really work. (laughs) I bet they would work for someone that knew what they were doing. I don't know. Uh, But they all look into their balls and uh, they're, they're, they're crystal orbs. And uh, Professor Trelawney looks into Harry's and what does she see? She sees the Grim. Again. This is what, the third time, the fourth time? Yeah, I mean, seriously. So if there is a bad omen over Harry's head, uh, she seems to be confirming it over and over and over. Hermione thinks this is hogwash. What does she do? She just walks out on the class. She thinks it's bananas. I'm done with this. I'm done with Trelawney, which is odd. It's, it's odd to me. Obviously, Professor Trelawney is maybe not the best uh, she's a good person, but she's maybe not a great teacher at her subject. Uh, and so it's odd. Why is she still at Hogwarts? Uh, why would Dumbledore allow her to uh, teach kids if she doesn't really know what she's doing? But Hermione seems to dismiss divination altogether. The whole concept of it to her. My question is, why are they just allowed to leave class right in the middle of the lesson? Well, they are not. 
but it seems as though the only way she would get punished is if Professor Trelawney maybe sought punishment for her, you know, and uh, maybe she didn't. Because, uh, you know, who's going to know that she stormed out of class other than the students that were there? And the teacher. Right. So if the teacher doesn't particularly get upset and tell on her, I guess they just figure she's having a bad day. But she's done. She's done with divination. But it's odd to me that of all the crazy, amazing, magical things in their lives, she decides that divination is the thing that's just dumb. But maybe it's because she's never seen anyone do it right. I don't know. I mean, it really seems very helpful. If you did it right. Yeah. Knowing the future would certainly be helpful. Yes. Um, so far, the like, only thing she's predicted is Harry's demise. So, Like, if you knew that that you were going to get a new puppy or something. <laughs> <laughs> you could plan for it, right? Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe go buy a, a bed for it or something. <laughs> so uh, the Easter holiday starts, and uh, the third years have got a ton of homework. Hermione is looking beat up, right? She's tired. She's yeah. worn out. Her hair's all crazy. Well, crazier than usual. She can't... Uh, even bother to do the research for Buckbeak's case anymore uh, for the appeal. And uh, so who takes over? Do you remember? Um, Ron or Harry? It's Ron. Do you think he's going to be the best to do a bunch of research? No. Probably not. It's nice that he's trying. That shows he's got, you know, a good heart. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's probably not the best at, at, at finding all the facts and putting together a solid argument. Uh, so the Quidditch final between Gryffindor and Slytherin is coming up. Gryffindor hasn't won in forever. Uh, Charlie Weasley was the seeker, and Charlie's been out of school for a good while. He's off working with dragons, right? Uh-huh. He's in, in Romania. Romania. Yeah. So uh, it's been, what, seven years, eight years maybe? Something like that. Uh, the night before the game, Harry has uh, bad dreams, and when he looks out the window, do you remember what he sees? The Grim? And, well, he sees the big black dog, but he also sees it with Crookshanks. Maybe Crookshanks is chasing it away. Who knows? So, the big Quidditch match arrives, yeah, and... I don't remember that part. Yeah, he just looks out the window, and there he sees the black dog and Crookshanks, and, and the impression you get is that maybe Crookshanks is just chasing all animals, because it seems to be... She seems to be chasing... He. He? Crookshanks the boy? Yeah. Oh, okay. He seems to be chasing... You know, the rats and whatnot. Uh, so the day of the big Quidditch match shows up and Harry is getting ready for the match. Uh, Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff have decided to support who? The um, Gryffindor. Yeah, because they're out of the running. They're not going to make it, uh, obviously. They're not even playing. Mm-mm. But they don't want who to win. Slytherin, because they've won like... I don't know, six million years in a row? <laughs> yeah, and it's a uh, well-understood, you know, sort of thing at this point that no one wants Slytherin to have anything because no. they're, they're all mean. Jerks. <laughs> it's, it's a whole... I, you got to wonder sometimes, are all of the Slytherins rotten or is it just the rotten ones that make them all seem rotten? Is it the Dracos and the crabs and the, the Goyles. Goyles of the world that uh, are so loud and obnoxious that everyone just assumes all Slytherins are terrible, nasty. Maybe, you know, maybe out of like a hundred or so Slytherins, maybe only 10 of them are jerks. I don't know. We, we don't really get into that, but we do know that the Slytherin house favors purebloods yeah. and uh, perhaps the wealthy. Now that would just be sort of a greedy type thing. Yeah, who knows? We, we don't know a lot about yeah, they the rest of those students. They only show like... Ten of the Slytherins in the entire book series. And well, that's it. we only see about ten Ravenclaws too. I mean, there's by name, uh, there's probably fewer than a dozen Ravenclaws that show up, you know, over and over and over. So, uh, anywho, uh, so they're cheering on Gryffindor. They want uh, they want Gryffindor to win, and they the rules of Quidditch are such that you can't just win the game if it's a championship. Do you remember what else you have to do? You have to... Um, it's not just who is the winner. It's also the points. So um, it's the points of the whole season. They do math on those. And then they also factor in wins and losses. So Harry knows this. And Harry knows 
that even though he sees the snitch... He has to wait for a few minutes until his team wins a bunch more points. Yeah, they got to be like 60 points ahead. If he catches the snitch now, they'll win the game and lose the championship. Yeah. So that's a that's a double-edged sword. It's Because if you see the snitch like right at the beginning of the game, you can't just go get it. You have to... like. If it's a championship, you have to wait until you got, like, 60 or 70, like you said, points by throwing the quaffle. And that's it. Yeah, so uh, I think on a regular game, you know, if you saw the snitch in the first two minutes, catch it. Because yeah. you've, you've That'd won. That really good. Yeah, and that's never happened, obviously. I think I the snitch... I think the snitch probably... The shortest game ever has been five minutes. And I think the snitch probably flies further away at the beginning of the game. Yeah, I think it knows, okay, I, sh- I should get far away from the students. Yeah, be harder to catch, uh, but let's not keep the game going for three months or whatever. <laughs> so so the, so they do get ahead, though. Uh, and Harry and uh, Draco are both going for the uh, snitch at this point. They see it. Draco grabs Harry's broom. And just about knocks him to the ground again. At the last moment, what does he get? He gets the snitch. Right in front of Draco's face. Pulls it almost right out of his eyeball and says, <laughs> I got it, not you. So they win. And everyone goes nuts, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're all super excited. Um, chapter 16, Professor Trelawney's Prediction. So the exams are coming. Uh, what are our two kinds of exams? Um, written exams and... No, the names of them. Oh, AWLs. Close. OWLs. OWLs. That's Owls. what I mean. Yeah. And what's the other one? That's what I mean. Um, the other one is like live tests or something Newt's. like that. Owls and newts. Newts. Yeah, so owls... They're both actually things. (laughs) Owls are ordinary wizarding levels. And newts, I don't remember, but but I remember Fred and George called them nastily exhausting wizarding tests. (laughs) I don't remember what the actual name of it is, though. But uh, So even Fred and George are studying, uh, which is unusual for them. Very unusual. I believe... They're usually joking around all the time. Feel free to uh, go into the uh, show notes at podcast.hijinksandsue.com and click on this episode and tell me if I'm wrong uh, in the comments. But I do believe owls are to get to your next grade to pass, but newts are to excel in a particular subject. So, for instance, an owl would be like a passing grade, but a newt might be like a super A-plus with 100 gold stars. I don't think that the owl is to get to your next grade. I think you only take that at your in your, like, sixth or seventh year. That's true. You don't have them every year. But, like, for instance, you're about to or either just did take a standardized test for Texas. And... Uh, the deal, did you already do it? What? It's got a name and they, they change the name all the year. There's toss and there's tasp and there's, what are yours called? Um, star test, star test. Okay. So the deal is with a test like that, uh, it is a way for the school board to get a general idea of how the overall student body is doing in particular subjects. Yeah, third through fifth does that. But in Texas, at least, and probably in a lot of states, uh, you don't have to do great on your standardized tests, but you do have to pass them in order to keep going with school, or they will make you take them again and again and again and again. Uh, If you get a failing grade, what we took was called the TOS test, the Texas Achievement Assessment Something test. Uh... And if you if you failed those miserably uh, at at a certain point, they wouldn't let you pass on to the next grade. I I believe, and again, tell me if I'm wrong. Explain owls to me. Uh, that's fine. Uh, I'm pretty sure you have to pass your owls to stay at Hogwarts. Mm. Once you take them, you do not have to ever get a newt, if I'm not mistaken. But for instance, Percy. And what do we know about Percy? He's um. He's sort of like, 
He's sort of snooty, and he likes to take a bunch of tests. He's very concerned with his grades. He's very concerned with his future career at the ministry. He's like, I have to get a perfect grade every single time, ever. Yeah, so he's going out for all newts. He's trying to get a newt in every subject he takes. He wants to go to the Ministry of Magic. He needs the best grades in the school. And he eventually does. Hermione, who you would think would normally be like, yay, tests, is uh, she's exhausted. She's like, uh. <laughs> she can't handle it. Um, Ron looks at her exam, uh, like the number of exams she's taking. And he, again, he's like, hey, some of these exams are at the same time. Uh, but he doesn't ever ask any questions. She changes the subject. She instead says, uh, has anyone seen my books? Because, you know, I got I to gotta go. I'm not, I'm not talking to you guys about my time schedule. <laughs> so the exams start. Uh, this is interesting, and this is going to be, I believe, in contrast uh, to, let me get my head straight. I believe it's book five. So this is the next book that you're going to read. Um, book five. Why am I blanking on the name? It's not, is it The Order of the Phoenix? Yeah, okay. The Order of the Phoenix. Okay. So book five, uh, where we meet a, a particularly horrible uh, person who will change the way things uh, are done with testing at Hogwarts. In this book... Mundungus? No, you don't know anybody yet. Okay. It's okay. You'll find out soon enough. So uh, uh, it's interesting to see them. All of their tests at this point are practical. Do you know what that means? Mm-mm. It means they're doing the thing. So, for instance, for charms class, you have to perform a cheering charm. That's, that's your, what I was talking about. Yeah, that's your owl. And, uh, and for magical creatures, uh, Hagrid is like, you know... I don't know, feed this animal or something, you know, um, or, or get an egg from a evil bird, <laughs> you know, some, some horrible thing that's likely to kill you. Anyway, back to Harry Potter. Yeah. And, uh, and then also, uh, they also have a, uh, they have to make a potion for potions class. They have to do a confusing concoction. And then, uh, so all of their tests, uh, you actually have to show your skill, you know, in these various areas. Uh, Harry's last exam, though, is divination. And he goes to Professor Trelawney's uh, room. He sees Ron come out after being in there like 20 minutes. Harry thinks either he's terrible at divination or also divination doesn't exist. He doesn't know. So what is his strategy for this test? So... um, Is he really going to try and tell the future? Maybe, maybe not. Have you forgotten this part? Yes. Okay. He makes up a story. He he doesn't That's remember. Right. He doesn't remember. He doesn't think any of it. He, he either knows he can't do it or it's not real. Regardless, his only plan is to start making up a story. So he makes up a story about a hippogriff. I thought he saw pizza or something. No, I don't think they ever talk about pizza in Harry Potter. <laughs> uh, so he makes up a story about a hippogriff and then Trelawney is asking questions. And then what happens to Trelawney? She starts going nuts. She goes into a trance. She says, it will happen tonight. The Dark Lord lies alone and friendless. Do you remember all of this? Abandoned by his followers. His servant has been chained these 12 years. Tonight before midnight, the servant will break free and set out to rejoin his master. The Dark Lord will rise again. And with his servant's aid, greater and more terrible than ever before. Tonight, before midnight, the servant will set out to rejoin his master. <coughs> Excuse me. What was I saying? Did, did, did you say something? Boring? Yeah, yeah. Wait, didn't some didn't some of the stuff she was talking about happen in book four? Uh, I don't think so. This was her whole speech, and huh. she's talking about the servant being trapped for twelve years. Who's been trapped for 12 years? Um, the Dark Lord? No, which which servant that we're all afraid of at this point has been incarcerated in Azkaban prison for 12 years? Serious. Obviously, it's Sirius Black. Harry knows more than ever that this lady, I don't think she's a great teacher, but she definitely is confirming Sirius Black is the servant of the Dark Lord. <laughs> she's coughing like that sometimes. <laughs> And uh, he knows. He knows who his enemy is at this point. He knows the dog is after him. He knows that Sirius Black's got something to do with uh, his parents' death. And he knows he's that the, you know he was their friend and he's betrayed them. 
He's he's more than ever certain that Sirius Black is the cause of all of his problems and is likely trying to kill him. <laughs> uh, so back at the tower, at Gryffindor Tower, Harry hears, hears Hagrid uh, has sent a note saying that Buckbeak lost his appeal. He'll be executed at sunset that day and that he doesn't want to talk to anybody. Uh, Hermione grabs the invisibility cloak to go talk to Hagrid and Ron and Harry go with her. They get to Hagrid's cabin. Hagrid is, Hagrid is, uh, he's sort of drunk. He's Hagrid at this point, um, which is maybe where they got the the name Hagrid from. Hagrid Hagrid. Yes. Uh, he's, he's beat up. I think he is maybe a little drunk too. Um, and, uh, he tells them that not even Dumbledore can overrule the committee's decision. And that the executioner, remember his name? Um, it's McNair. We'll hear more about McNair later. In book four. Who is he friends with? He's friends with Sirius. No, with the Malfoys. Oh. So at this point, it's pretty obvious that maybe Buckbeak did not get a fair trial, right? And that the dude who's going to kill him is evil. It's safe to say that the Malfoys probably don't have any good family friends. They're probably running in a circle of pretty dastardly uh, villainous types. So, yeah, McNair is probably not a great guy. But at this point, you know, with Malfoy's dad leading the charge against Buckbeak, with Malfoy himself whining that his little sad arm is hurt, man, me, <laughs> like a little baby, um... And then now we know the executioner is a friend of Malfoy's. It, it, it again paints this picture that. And, and um, I was also going to say that at least in the movie, um, when he's telling all the Slytherins that his arm hurts so bad, um, one of the Slytherin girls is like, does it hurt too much, Draco? Yeah, they're all, they all want to fawn all over him. So anyway. It's obvious, though, at this point that that he probably didn't get a fair trial and that before this even started, he was probably sentenced to death just because of Malfoy's influence. Uh, So they're going back to the castle and they find uh, Scabbers there in Hagrid's uh, milk bottle. And then they hear a group of people coming. So they go out the back door. And then what do they hear? They hear a pretty terrible sound. It's the sound of the executioner sharpening sharpening his axe. Yeah, I think they actually hear the axe fly and fall. They do. And a thud. And so they... uh, Yeah, they like... They go out the back door. They stay behind the pumpkins for a sec. And then they like run through the forest out onto the ground. And they hear... And so they, they assume the worst. That that's it for Buckbeak. Chapter 17, Cat, Rat, and Dog. I love this chapter. You like this chapter a lot? Well, before we get into it, can you say any reasons why you love this chapter, or is it just the action? It, um, I can't really explain why I like it without doing some spoilers. Well, as we go through the chapter, tell me the things that you like the most. Uh, so Harry, Ron, and Hermione, uh, are, are fleeing... Hagrid's, uh, as we know now, the people that showed up were Cornelius Fudge, the Minister for Magic, Dumbledore, and McNair, the Executioner. Uh, We assume that Buckbeak is done for. Scabbers is going bananas. He's in Ron's pocket. Ron thinks he's happy he's finally found his pet again, right? Yeah. Uh, Harry sees the reason Scabbers is going crazy. Do you remember what it is? Because, um, because... Either Crookshanks or the Black Dog. It's Crookshanks. Crookshanks is on his way. Uh, this cat has got it out for Scabbers, right? Yeah. So uh, Crookshanks is approaching them. Scabbers. But soon we'll learn why it's a good reason. So Scabbers escapes from Ron's hands. He he runs off. Yeah he um he starts hold Ron starts holding Scabbers and then he bites him. Yeah so he's like, "What's your deal, Scabbers? I thought we were friends." So uh, <laughs> Scabbers scampers off and uh crookshanks goes after scabbers uh harry ron and hermione follow the animals and catch scabbers again 
suddenly another animal's there. Who's there? The black dog. The I mean, seriously, there's too many animals. Seriously, indeed. So uh, the black dog shows up. This is the first time that Harry is sort of confirmed that there is actually a black dog. It's not just something he's seeing from a distance. Um, so the black dog uh, attacks, uh, well, it sort of jumps into the fray, right? I don't, I don't think he's specifically attacking anything in particular, um, but it jumps on Harry and kind of as if to push him. We think it's attacking him. I May- that was Ron. Not yet. Uh, jumps on Harry, maybe pushing him out of the way, maybe trying to kill him. It's hard to say at this point. He attacks a second time, and Ron jumps in the way. Yeah. And what happens to Ron at this point? Um, the dog starts biting his leg and dragging him off to the Whomping Willow. Yeah, and he actually breaks Ron's leg. Um, oh, does he? Yeah, I would imagine that having a dog bite your leg and then fighting it until your leg is broken is probably incredibly painful, right? Yeah, you would think that even though he's like 13 or 14 years old, that you would be screaming and crying at the top of your lungs. Yeah, it's going to be a, a pretty painful experience. Um, he He... You know, as we will see shortly, Ron is sort of out for the rest of the book, and and with good reason. I think from a writing standpoint, it was just to uh, limit the number of characters involved in all this crazy action that's about to take place. So, which is another part that I like. Okay, so uh, so anyway, Ron uh, he gets he's dragging away. Uh, Harry gets hit by something in the dark. He does a Lumos, and he sees where they are. Where are they? What landmark have they have they ended up at? You just said the name. Whomping Willow. The Whomping Willow. What happens when you get too close to the Whomping Willow? It starts attacking you. Yeah, it's giant branches start like, swinging all around. Even if you like just tap it like for three seconds very softly, it is going to try and kill you. I don't think you even have to touch it. I think you just get near it and it goes berserk. So uh, the dog is trying to drag Ron into a hole. At the base of the Whomping Willow, like into a tunnel in the ground. That nobody ever noticed before? That's strange. Apparently so. Uh, based on the description, it does seem like it's very small. Like maybe too small to comfortably uh, crawl into. In the movies, it's a big, giant cave. I, I don't think I don't think uh, it's that big in the uh, stuff. What am I trying to say? The books. Books. <laughs> What is the stuffs? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, Ron gets away. He doesn't get pulled in, but he, d- he definitely suffers uh, a terrible injury. He's like, ah. Who makes the Whomping Willow calm down? Um, This I don't remember. It's Crookshanks. What's with this cat? What does this cat know? Why does this cat know secrets about magical trees? No idea. So Crookshanks touches the special knot. That makes the tree calm down. And then they all go uh, into this gap, into the long tunnel uh, underneath uh, the Whomping Willow. The WW. And where Hermione realizes where this tunnel leads. Where is it taking them? It takes them to the Shrieking Shack. Yes, to the Shrieking Shack, which we've heard about previously because it is... Uh, near Hogsmeade, or the kids were talking about it when they went to Hogsmeade, and it's supposed to be the most haunted building. Joke shop. Not a joke shop. It's a shrieking shack. No, it's an empty shack. Zonko's is the joke shop. Oh. Shrieking, the shrieking shack is the, they say it's the most haunted house in wherever they are, Scotland or whatever. So, uh, London, Scotland, they're not in London, they're in Scotland. But I'm saying, I don't know if they say it's the most haunted house in Scotland or the most haunted house in you know, the world. I don't know. I don't remember. So they follow the trail, uh, in the tunnel and, uh, there's something being dragged ahead of them. They end up in the shrieking shack and they see Ron. Who's got Ron? Sirius. Yes. Sirius black. And we realize that Sirius is the black dog, the dog, because, um, I think he got some mud on his face. But um, on his paws, he, um, and he dra- and he 
got it in the side, and there's a bunch of dog prints, and then right where they end, there's a human. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he turned into a human right at the end of those dog footprints. So Sirius Black, that means what kind of wizard is he? He's an animagus. Exactly. So they manage to Expelliarmus and disarm. Uh, well, he manages to disarm Harry and Hermione. Expelliarmus. So he's got Ron captured. Harry and Hermione are defenseless at this point. Even if there is magic you can do without a wand, they don't know it yet because they're too young. So without a wand, they is can't it? really do it. Um, yes. For instance, and what we, we can go into this at the end of this chapter, uh, an animagus can turn into an animal without the aid of a wand. Oh, yeah. So there are certain spells. We don't know which. But there are some kinds of magic that do not require a wand. Also, Dumbledore seems to do most of his magic without his wand. With just his hands. But that may be because he is perhaps the most powerful wizard in the world. Except for maybe Voldemort? Voldemort, as you will learn more in the future, absolutely needs his wand. Uh, Uh, There is some magic he seems to do without it. Uh, He seems to, uh, for instance, be able to appear and disappear without it. Um, Like he He might be able to apparate without it. He seems to oh. be able to fly or turn into smoke without it. Also, um, McGonagall can, can do some magic without her wand because um, in one of the books, two, one, three, I don't remember, but in one of them, she um, says Dumbledore's password. She says lemon drop, and she just flicks her hands. I don't think that's her doing the magic, I think it's the fact that the enchanted staircase only requires to hear the word. I don't, I don't think the staircase wants, uh, a wand. I think it, you know, it's doing the, the magic by being enchanted. I'm not sure, but so anywho, yes, there is some, there's gotta be some magic, including an animagus transformation that you don't have to have a wand for. So anyway, would the, um, the other thing, um, require, um, never mind, never mind. I forgot what I was going to Okay, say. no problem. So, uh, where were we? They've got Ron and Hermione, uh, or they've got Ron, Harry and Hermione are disarmed. Sirius Black's there, uh, holding on to Ron. And, uh, Harry jumps at Black. Gonna take him out with brute force. He's, he's enraged, right? Yeah, he's... Yeah. He's he's madder than he's ever been. This is the guy that's ruined my life. Uh, other than Voldemort, this is the worst person in the world as far as I'm concerned. Uh, there's a struggle, and Harry manages to get a hold of the wand, or I think his own wand. Uh, Harry, uh, Ron and Hermione, who are still struggling with Black, uh, he tells them to get out of the way and step aside because he's going to do what with his wand? Do you remember? What's Harry going to do to Sirius Black? He wants to kill him. He wants to do the killing curse. Oh, they never mentioned that. Well, that's how he would do it with a- his wand. Avada Yeah, he, he feels like this is the thing he has to do. Also, that, that reminds me of the time at the end of book two when it seems like um, Mr. Malfoy's going to do the killing curse on Harry right in front of Dumbledore's office. Yeah, it seems like he uh he truly doesn't care uh about the 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 uh what am I trying to say consequences of his actions uh because he feels so entitled to do whatever he wants. But he he realizes before he does it that it would probably be a, a pretty bad idea. So <laughs> so anywho Um, there is a struggle and, uh, on the verge of performing the killing curse, Crookshanks leaps into the air to protect Sirius Black. Again, what does this cat know that we don't know? Something? Someone, someone's, uh, coming. They hear footsteps. Who enters the room at this point? Snape. Not yet. Who enters before Snape? Lupin. Professor Lupin. Now... Lupin shows up and obviously he's going to disarm Sirius Black, tie him up and save the kids, right? No. What happens? They start hugging each other. 
And, they're, and they're like, oh, old friend. How yeah. long has it been? They're old friends. And he disarms Harry. Uh, he disarms Harry, takes his wand away. So now we know Lupin is a double crosser. Sort of evil. He seems like it. He's definitely in league with the most evil guy in the book right now. Uh-huh. Uh, they also seem to be having a conversation that no one else understands. They're yeah. saying stuff like, he's here, he's here. We've got him, we've got him. Kill him. Who are we talking about at this point? Obviously Harry, right? Uh-huh. We think it's Harry, at least. Uh, so he's, he's seen where is he serious, and uh, Harry's super confused. Like what? I'm right in front of you guys. <laughs> yeah, so they think, yeah, so that he's like, well, we're obviously here to kill Harry. I don't think Harry understands why, other than just being in service of the Dark Lord, why Sirius Black wants to kill him. Uh, but apparently Lupin's on his side now, and so they're both going to try and kill him. Uh, they're about to, they act like they're about to do it. Sirius is saying, let's kill him, let's kill him. And then Lupin stops him. What does Lupin want to do first? He wants to let the kids know who we're talking about. He wants to tell the kids what they're doing. He says they have a right to know. So it's like, before we kill this kid, let's at least tell him why. At least that's what everyone else thinks, right? Yeah. Hermione shouts out that she knows Lupin's secret. He's a werewolf. Lupin's a werewolf! He's like, I trusted you! He's a werewolf! That's why he's been missing classes! And how does she know that? How did she figure it out when no one else did? When Snape, um... When Snape made them do do homework on werewolves. Yeah, she put two and two together. She realized his cycle, you know, his his monthly transformation schedule when he missed classes, the fact that he showed up after classes with scars, that his clothes were always torn, um, all kinds of stuff. And the fact that his, now we know, that the Boggart showed him what? Showed him the full moon... Yeah, they said it was a white orb, but oh. now we realize it was a full moon. Yeah, I, I keep thinking of the movie when it sh- actually shows clouds and... Yeah, the movie gives it away way too easily. The movie is basically spelling it out from the first, you know, 20 minutes of the movie. It's like, hey, dude, I'm a werewolf. Yeah, but in <laughs> if you haven't figured it out at this point in the book, the hints were more subtle. Uh So we know now that silver orb that he was, you know, the thing he's the most afraid of is the moon. He's afraid of his transformation into a mindless killing creature, right? Yeah, I, I think anybody would be. So she knows, uh, she she sort of, you know, tells on him, rats him out to everybody. And Lupin explains that he knew where Black was because he'd been watching the Marauder's Map. And what is his connection with the Marauder's Map? That he helped make it. Yeah, he is Mooney of Messrs. Mooney... Wormtail. Padfoot and prongs. He's the Mooney uh, in question here. Get it, Mooney, because he's afraid of the moon? That and I think if they had said Messrs. Werewolf, Wormtail, Padfoot and, <laughs> Padfoot and prongs, it would have been way more of a, a clue, you know, or wolfy or, you know, wolf tooth face, you know. <laughs> I think we would have uh, all been Scary. a little bit more. Yeah, we would have been more clued in. Um, loopy. Uh, do you know that the... <laughs> The name Lupin, though, is a uh, is a dead giveaway that he's a werewolf because mm-hmm. the the prefix L U P is the uh, Latin prefix for uh, wolves. Uh, lupine means like of the wolf, and so uh, Lupin sort of gives it away. No, I did not know that. It's good that you didn't know that because it would have given it away like the moment they say his name. <laughs> so. Uh, something else to keep in mind, I think I told you this on a previous podcast, that Sirius is either the Latin or Greek word for dog. It is. So Sirius black means black dog. Yeah, so that's another dead giveaway. You start seeing a black dog and you hear about a guy named Sirius Black. There's a constellation called Sirius, uh, a star constellation. Yeah, I heard of that. And that's a dog. So, so it makes sense. Yeah, if there was a guy named, you know, uh, Ursula Ursa, you would know it was a bear because that's the... <laughs> Prefix for bear and, and Ursa Major and Ursa Minor are bears. It's a constellation as well. So, you know, it's a play on words that luckily maybe a lot of kids 
who are reading the third book in a series won't know. Most adults will probably know that at that point. Yeah, that gives a dead giveaway to the adults. Pretty much. Which makes it not very fun. Uh, I would say less fun, sure. But again, as of book three, these are still primarily books for kids. Uh, actually, it's it's almost this chapter, the next chapter, the chapter after that, where these books sort of stop being uh, just for children and really start crossing over into a darker and more serious territory. So it, it's a good point for those transitions to take place. Uh, anyway, so Harry is super confused at this point. We know that Lupin's a werewolf. He's created the Marauder's Map. Uh, Mooney was his nickname from his fellow students. And uh, he figured out that they were sneaking out to visit Hagrid because the invisibility cloak, you can't see somebody, but where can you still see them even if they're invisible? Marauder's Map. The Marauder's Map. So he sees he sees them regardless. I think they sort of forget that. Like, oh. I don't think they think anyone else has the Marauder's Map. They certainly don't think someone they don't trust has it. Oh, wait. Because they know Lupin confiscated it. I'm still thinking of the movie. Okay. Well, they know Lupin confiscated the map. I don't yeah, think yeah. they would think, I sure hope Professor Lupin doesn't know where we are. Yeah, I think they probably forgot that he could just use the map to tell where they are. Well, they didn't know he was, a. at this point, they think he's a bad guy. They didn't know that at the time, so they didn't care, really. Uh, but he saw them go to Hagrid's, and he saw that they were accompanied by someone. And he says, you were accompanied. Uh, he explains to them... Uh, you are accompanied by Scabbers. Scabbers is not a rat, but an animagus named... Peter Pettigrew. Peter Pettigrew, what? Peter Pettigrew is alive and well. And uh, in the movie, Harry keeps seeing Peter Pettigrew on the map. He's like, okay, this map, map must, must be broken. Obviously, that guy's dead. That's another one of Harry's uh, less... Questionable things well more questionable and less questioning where he's not really as as concerned about the fact but again that's in the movie i don't believe that happens in the book i could be wrong uh so peter pettigrew has been scabbers the whole time this whole time like, ron's for 13 years. family pet yeah um and that gives you a pretty good giveaway too 13 years hmm, what else has been 13 years exactly so uh uh-huh so, uh, chapter 18, Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs. We now know at least who the Mooney and probably the Wormtail uh, of, the, of that equation are. Uh, Black tells him, I tried to kill Peter Pettigrew 12 yeah. years ago, but I didn't manage to. And he, how did he realize that Pettigrew was still alive? What did he see in the newspaper? Do you remember Ron's family vacation? Yeah. Who was in that picture? Gabbers. And how did Sirius Black recognize him? He he only has four fingers on one of his hands. He's missing a toe. And so he says, not only do I recognize that rat, because I know that rat, because we used to transform into animals together, (laughs) but I recognize that rat as missing A a toe. That was when he decided to break out of Azkaban because he knew his job had not been finished. He had not killed Peter Pettigrew. Still, even at this point, it sounds like he's confessing to wanting to kill an innocent man, right? Uh-huh. He, he, he has not made himself look any better at this point. Uh, he tries to take Scabbers from Ron and Lupin stops him saying, we got to explain everything to Harry, Ron, and Hermione. They have the right to know. He tells them that Peter Pettigrew is an unregistered animagus, one of three which were students together at Hogwarts. This is the point where we realize that uh, an animagus is so powerful that they have to register with the Ministry of Magic. I don't know if it's at this point or earlier in the book. Sometime Hermione mentions that in the last hundred years, only seven animagi have been registered, which means it's an incredibly uncommon power or that nobody wants to tell the government if they can do it. But McGonagall's one of them and she's registered. So is Dumbledore, I think. Dumbledore never turns into an animal as uh, far as we know. So it's that's a Dumbledore, Sirius. No, not Dumbledore, McGonagall. Uh, yeah. Uh, and Sirius McGonagall. isn't registered either. None of the, uh, the, none of the marauders are registered. Um, they're all secret. Not not even the fourth 
person? Nope. So if it makes you realize that if only seven were registered, but there were three at Hogwarts at the same time, maybe there's a lot more anime guy out there than anyone knows about. And they just don't want to tell people. Because think about it. If you uh, could just turn into, you know, a ferret and they put you in jail, you get out pretty easy, right? Uh, you wouldn't have to apparate. You wouldn't have to do any other spells. And you don't need a wand. That is why being an Animagus is so powerful. You can do it without being a wand. So when everyone else around you thinks you're trapped and disarmed, you still have a very powerful spell that you can do. So do do, do you have to be born with the power? Well, at this point, uh, when they start explaining their story... Uh, that Peter Pettigrew is an unregistered Animagus, one of three which used to be a uh, student at Hogwarts. They also mentioned that Lupin was bitten as a child by a werewolf. So he's been a werewolf his entire life. And the potion which Professor Snape had been making for him, do you remember what it was called? No. It's called Wolfsbane Potion. Do you remember what Wolfsbane Potion does? Uh, it's been a while it, with this it, one. I think that it stops you from turning into a werewolf for one week? No, it allows you to keep your mind while you turn into a werewolf. Oh. So instead of just turning into a full-on killer animal, he would keep his mind and just go hide, as it turns out, in the Shrieking Shack. The reason the shriek, the Whomping Willow was planted the year that Lupin showed up... Was because he, um, he would know where... It, was and he could just go to that hole and well more so than that Dumbledore planted it for Lupin he he knew he had a student coming in who was a werewolf he knew that life was going to be very difficult for this student but it wasn't his fault right Mm -hmm. so Madame Pomfrey would make the potion for him that would let him keep his mind Dumbledore planted the Whomping Willow and presumably created the tunnel they also built the Shrieking Shack for him all of this was done for Lupin um, and to give him a safe place to transform and just wait out his transformation. He would just stay in the Shrieking Shack and howl, but he knew who he was and he didn't hurt anybody. The reason the Whomping Willow attacks people is why? Because only Lupin is supposed to get in there. Yeah, keep him away from that opening. Now, you mentioned earlier no one's noticed this opening before? Probably not, because if you got that close to it, the willow has beat you up already. Yeah. So uh, that secret knot that Crookshanks knew about uh, is the way to turn off the Whomping Willow and get into your, yeah, get into the Shrieking Shack. So um, so Professor Snape had been taking over making the Wolfsbane potion since he is back. And, uh, and uh, because he was friends with James Potter... And Sirius Black and... Apparently Pettigrew. Pettigrew, it seems. Uh, they knew about his problem. And so here's where they say they learned to become Animagi to keep him company when he was a werewolf. Um, how do you learn how to be an Animagus? They don't say. You know? They just don't say. Maybe you can search it on Google. Wizard Google, perhaps. I don't know. Um, it, it seems like, again, like it's it would be so helpful to learn, but it's such an uncommon power. that Or it, Wizard Safari or something. Yes, exactly. That it might be... Uh, it, it, it might just take a lot of practice. And maybe the, the methods for doing it are secret and somehow they found them. I don't know. Maybe you have to know a werewolf. I don't know. <laughs> um. So they all would accompany him out into the woods, into the Shrieking Shack, and they would run around as animals together and and be friends. Yeah. Uh, and since he could keep his mind, you know, they, they could just hang out and, yeah, and have it, a good time. It would be like he was, um, ter- it would be like he was an, animag- an Animagus for a night or something. Yeah, except that he didn't have any control over when he changed. Yeah. So then we learn that James was prongs. He was the stag, the deer. Yeah. Wormtail was Pettigrew, the rat, and Padfoot was Sirius, the dog. Uh, and when there were students at Hogwarts, Sirius played a trick on Snape. And since Snape was very curious about where they were going during one of Lupin's transformations, 
Sirius told Snape how to enter the Whomping Willow, but did not tell them how to turn it off, right? Mm-hmm. So who saved Sirius uh, Snape from getting possibly murdered by the Whomping Willow? James. And that is when we go back to uh, that earlier uh, sort of confrontation with Snape where he said, you know, my father saved your life. And he said, your father was saving his own skin, Potter. You know, but he, man, it sounds like he saved his life, right? Yeah, he was probably trying just not to admit it. Well, the bad thing is, um, you know, what Sirius did was incredibly cruel. And we will learn later even more so that when he was younger, he was not the nicest guy. And certainly not nice to Snape. Uh, so part of Snape's complex of hating Potter and hating his dad. Uh, it, it actually makes sense. It's, he's got some reasons, you know. He's got, uh, he was mistreated. And even as an adult, he can still feel the pain from that. Maybe he doesn't like Harry's dad because he was friends with a very mean guy. I'm not sure. I'm sure that's part of it. I'm sure he always says your father was arrogant and, uh, you know, Selfish. A bully and so, you know, so he might be kind of right. Um, so anywho, uh, he saves Snape from the uh, Willow and from, you know, having to uh, fight a werewolf, basically. He, <laughs> he knew there was one at the end of that tunnel. Uh, and he, so he saved him. And uh, Snape uh, saw Lupin as a werewolf, but was forbidden to talk about it by Dumbledore because... Dumbledore knew if everyone else knows there's a werewolf at the school, they're going to demand that I expel him. You know, he won't be able to have a normal life. So uh, then who finally shows up at the end of this whole long speech? Snape. Snape has been there under Harry's invisibility cloak the whole time. Uh-huh. Listening to the story, obviously he doesn't believe it. Hi guys, this is Joel. I'm going to go ahead and pause the podcast right here because we have reached an hour and our conversation for the end of book three went on for about two hours. So we'll break this into two episodes. Uh, I do want to end by saying thank you to our Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash Sue. If you would like to support the podcast, if you would like to see us finish the series and then make more stuff, please contribute one, two, three, five dollars a month, whatever you like. And uh, it's very easy to sign up and manage your subscriptions for uh, for Potter and Daughter, for Hijinks and Sue, for all other sorts of amazing comics and podcast and video creators on Patreon. It's a great way to support the creators that you enjoy. I want to say thank you to Harry and the Potters, the band, for letting us use their theme song. This book is so awesome. Or letting us use their song. This book is so awesome as our theme song. Uh, and I also want to say thank you to Lily for being my excellent co-host. Uh, where we pick back up with the next episode. It'll be right where we left off. We'll jump right back into book three and finish out this book, The Prisoner of Azkaban. Thanks a lot. This book is so awesome.